Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit TexMed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today. Welcome, I'm Molly Mailman, a consultant at Texas Medical Association. In today's episode, we're going to look at the real estate market, and I've invited Jeremy Burroughs with Carr Healthcare Real Estate to share his expertise. Jeremy, thank you for speaking with me today. I have a few questions, and I'm going to dive right in. First, how has the market changed with COVID? Is it a buyer or a seller market? Wow. Uh, okay. Well, that's a big question, Molly, because uh, I think we're just now experiencing what uh, the beginnings of what the market has done because of COVID. Uh, we've seen changes in everything from uh, the amount of space that uh, that tenants are needing, uh, not just in the healthcare space, but just in general commercial. Uh, and you know, as far as any tenant out there, uh, but really, we haven't scratched the surface because the commercial real estate market uh, moves a lot slower than the residential real estate market. Uh, We will see trends and changes happen in the residential real estate market. And then within six months to a year is when we start seeing those changes in the commercial world, because most commercial tenants are are sitting inside of at least a one to three year lease. So that way, you know, no matter what's happening with their business, unless we just see dramatic, you know, uh, which we have in some arenas, uh, where businesses are going out of business. So, you know, the retail segment with restaurants, uh, you know, some of those uh, businesses have, that have been the most uh, hard hit by COVID, we are seeing the effects of those, meaning there's a lot of empty space in those arenas. But that really doesn't factor into, you know, a current lease that a doctor may be inside of, especially in like a medical office building or something like that, which most of, you know, most of those tenancy rates are staying pretty solid. Um, so we're seeing changes in the market, but we're really going to see what's going to happen in the next uh, really six to 18 months, because as those leases are coming up for renewal. So the, you know, the 20,000 square foot office user that now because of COVID has changed their office policies and says, you know, we don't have to have uh, 10, you know, 20,000 square foot for all of these uh, people to come in and, and be here in the office. We're having almost everybody work from home. We now only need 8,000 square feet. So as those leases are coming up for renewal and those businesses are pivoting and making those changes, that's where we're really going to start seeing the actual commercial real estate market react to the effects of COVID. Because then you're going to see a much larger swing from uh, from the landlord or the owner or, or the seller side of things into a more tenant-centric or tenant-friendly market. And I think that's really what we're headed towards, is we're headed towards another uh, few years of where the vacancy rates are going to start are pushing higher. And so, therefore, that's actually going to be good for tenants. Tenants are going to have more negotiating power, more leverage. A lot of what we saw in uh, 08, 09, and 10 which coincidentally is when our company was founded. Uh, we founded a commercial real estate company in 09. 
yeah, sounds like a great time to found a real estate company, right? Well, we did because uh, we had seen what was needed in the market as far as representation with doctors. And when we, uh, when we did that, uh, it just happened to be at the right time. And man, we were able to achieve massive results uh, for our clients during those time periods because of that same type of feel. That's really interesting about the space component. Um, what other things should a physician consider when signing a new lease during this pandemic? Oh yeah, there's, so we've had quite a few, I mean, we really haven't seen a huge slowdown in our clients um, signing leases and purchases and things like that because business still has to go on. I mean, if you're in business, as long as your business is, if the doors are going to stay open, you're going to still have to either have a lease or have uh, you know, a, a building that you're building to, to move into. So you're, you're going to have to have a place to run your practice. And so for us, what we've seen is mainly a change in uh, people looking for different clauses. Sometimes we, we jokingly refer to them as COVID clauses. Um, it, it doesn't normally say a COVID clause in the actual lease, but um, force majeure is one of those clauses that uh, people ha had really dug into whenever COVID was first happening. Everybody was going, oh, check your force majeure, check your force majeure clause. And some of them had language that was a little more uh, friendly towards the tenant. Some, it was just more vague. Uh, you know, a lot of people started thinking that they were going to be able to get all these months of free rent because of that. And really, that's not the case. It, what it comes down to is having a great relationship with your landlord, making sure that that uh, you are communicating with them what your business is going through. Because at the end of the day, most of the time, they are a business as well. They're a businessman who owns uh, a building and they have to make payments on that building. And so they're, you know, they're not just going to say, no, I don't care what's going on. You have to pay. Um, most of the time they're going to say, okay, talk to me. Can we do a half payment? Can we do a partial payment? And, and honestly, a, a healthcare client, if, if we have a healthcare client who can't go a couple of months with, without, uh, or, you know, a couple of months without their income changing dramatically and still be able to make their lease payments, that's honestly a little bit scary because they really should have a better cushion than that. Uh, unless they're a brand new startup and they just haven't gotten their feet underneath them. Uh, we, we always want to say most of our clients should have three to six months of, uh, you know, of expenses, business expenses that they can weather storms. I mean, you know, what happens if you need to move and uh, there's a change in Medicare reimbursement and things like that and slows checks from insurance companies. I mean, there's just, there's things that happen quite frequently that can cause interruptions in cash flow with business. And we really want to make sure that we're prepared for that. And so whether it's a pandemic or not, you know, we try to help our clients, uh, you know, understand that they need to be prepared for those things. But outside of those types of clauses, there's really not much you're going to do. And we've seen some changes in the force majeure or kind of, you know, even clauses that we've added to possibly make it a little more specific, you know, a language that says, hey, you know, if there is a uh, if our business is forced to be uh, forced to be shut down by a government entity, you know, and not not based on on uh, anything that we're doing that, uh, you know, that we have it set in there th that they automatically get rent uh, deferment. Now, rent deferment is different than rent abatement. Rent deferment says I'm not going to pay you rent right now, but I will pay you my rent eventually. And typically it gets tacked on to the end of the lease term. Rent abatement is you're just going to forgive the rent for free. And so that abatement is normally not something a landlord is going to agree to. Immediately they're going to they're going to say no, we'll go with deferment. You know, I might I might let you off not paying rent this month, but we're going to put it on the end of your term. So or they can even work it in 
uh, over the the length of the term, they can pay a little bit extra, you know, for the remaining months. So, however they want to decide on that, we we've seen those type of clauses come around. But you know, we all ultimately defer to a an attorney for any type of lease language, contract language. Uh, you know, we we want to make sure we're staying in our lane, and uh, and we are not attorneys. And even though some of us like to play that on TV. So we, we always go to those guys when it comes to the actual lease language. But yes, we've seen some of that stuff happening. And that's a great point uh, with having a financial cushion just in general to drive home. Um, I think COVID really taught us that important lesson of having those three to six months of financials ready to go. And then other than Absolutely. that, having that financial cushion, what would you say is your single best piece of advice for physicians? Ooh, single best piece of advice. Okay, well, um, Outside of the, the number one piece of advice, uh, you know, for any male physician that is happy wife, happy life. I mean, are we talking about that or are you, uh, I guess I, maybe I should stick more in the, in the real estate world. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that is the 11th commandment if you're if you're counting. So, uh, you know, make sure you, you want to have a happy marriage. But in the real estate world, you know, the best piece of advice I could give that is a general piece of advice because unfortunately, um, that's what's great about re- what real estate, and that's actually one of the hardest things to to talk about in generalities with real estate. And that is because every every deal is, has different nuances, so it's cool because it keeps life interesting. Um, but uh, but it, it's very hard to talk about in generalities because everything is so specific. But the one thing that I can tell you that will that will help you in any scenario, and that is give yourself time. You want to have time to make decisions on your real estate, because that is the one thing that stays constant. That is, if you have time to evaluate more options, if you, you have time to sit down with your consultant, with your agent, with your CPA, with your attorney, and talk about all the different options that are out there, you're going to make better decisions. We all know that the, that the, uh, you know, the last moment purchase you know, running out. I mean, we're the Christmas season is upon us. Running out on Christmas Eve to purchase all purchase all your presents for Christmas Day is probably not going to net you the best results. Uh, well, the same thing goes with your lease or with a purchase scenario, or if you're looking to build, you want to give yourself ample time. That way, you are not up against the wall and you feel pressured to make a decision one way or the other. That's probably the best uh, advice that I could give. And for physicians in a lease that are going to renew, do they have any negotiating power? And when we were talking about time, how far in advance should they start planning to update their contract? Yeah, Molly, that's a that is a great question. The negotiating power, you know, I've had so many clients who who thought that um, who thought that they were the one that was at the uh, behest of the landlord. They were the one who who really had to take whatever the landlord gave them as far as options. And, and when you have the right time, we are able to posture our client in the best way to get them the, the best results. Because at the end of the day, a professional landlord wants to have his spaces filled. He does not want an empty space. An empty space is going to cost him a lot of money, especially from a tenant who's currently in his space. Now, if he's got empty space, Believe it or not, they may not be as, as apt to negotiate on that, uh, you know, because sometimes I've had clients who said, oh, you know, that space has been empty for six months. Oh, surely they'll take a whole lot less in, in rent than what they're advertising. And believe it or not, that's actually not true because the way a uh, the way an investment property works with the landlord, if they if they take a large hit on their on their lease that they sign, that last lease that has been signed 
before they go to sell their property, that last lease that's been signed is what is considered now the new market lease rate for that property, for that whole property. So even though they may have a whole bunch of leases signed at $25 a square foot, if they took a, you know, took a discount on one and signed it at $19 a square foot, which is what, you know, our, our client says, man, they should take it, you know, take a whole lot less. Well, an investor who comes in, who's looking to buy that building says, Oof, uh, yeah, you may have got those other signed at 25, but you know, you just signed one six months ago for, uh, for 19 a square foot. So that tells me the market is going down. So therefore I'm going to discount the value of your building. So that's something where a, an empty space may not have as much negotiating power. And believe it or not, a, a space that is currently occupied by a healthcare tenant, we can have a lot of negotiating power there. Now, is it always going to be on rent rate? No, not at all. Um, because the same principle applies on a new lease that is signed with a, a, a land, you know, with a landlord on a current tenant that's there. If they're looking to sell their building, if they're wanting to sell this as an investment property and they're not just, uh, you know, a buy and hold where they're looking for the cash flow of that building, then they may not be willing to negotiate a huge amount on the rent, but they, uh, but they might be able to negotiate on possibly some free rent or some tenant proven allowances or some other things that, that maybe don't affect the actual cash flow of the property as a whole. But yes, there are a lot of things that a current tenant can negotiate on. But the second part of your question was spot on, and that is, when do they do that? Because if you don't come in at the right time, then you are not going to get anything from the landlord because these guys are smart that, you know, you have to understand that just like a doctor knows their business, knows their practice, knows what they're doing. This is a landlord's profession. This is how they make money. And so they, they don't sign a lease, put it on the back shelf for five years and go and do a different business. And then, and then, you know, a few months before that lease comes up for renewal, somebody taps them on the shoulder and says, Oh, Hey, by the way, um, you know, you've got to go sign a new lease. No, this is what they do constantly. So they have property managers who are watching these things all the time. They have people who are talking to the tenants who are trying to stay in the tenants business and know what's going on in their property. So the standard rule of thumb for us is we want to start negotiations on a lease renewal, which is what the landlords will call it, but really it's a new lease because we're not going to take the, you know, whatever options the landlord has given to us, we're going to be negotiating new terms. So we want to start those negotiations with the landlord one year prior to lease expiration. I know that seems like a long time. People go, wow, a year? But I still got a year left of term. Why would I start that negotiation now? Because we're not just going to be negotiating with that landlord. We're going to negotiate with, we're going to find all the different options. And, and really, we're going to want to talk to a client maybe even two years before that lease expires, because if the client comes to us and says, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm leasing here, but man, I'd, I'd really like to own. You know, I've been thinking about that for a long time. I've got lots of friends who have either bought a building or built a building, and man, they say it's great. I'd like to do that. Well, if we start that process 12 months from the lease expiration, then we really are not going to have enough time unless we're buying a building. And renovating it. If we have to build a building from ground up, we need to be starting that process about 18 months prior to lease expiration. So this is something that time is of such great importance in negotiations. The landlords want there to be no time, which is why there's this little thing called notice in the leases. And, and there's a certain amount of notice that a tenant is required to give a landlord if they want to stay. And there's a certain amount of notice that a landlord is required to give a tenant. 
And it's amazing how most of the time that uh, requirement for the tenant is around six months. They have to let the landlord know about six months prior to uh, their lease expiration if they want to continue to stay a tenant. But the landlord, on the other hand, normally only has to give them about 90 days. They only have to give the tenant notice of 90 days before lease expiration. So what they do is they sit back and they, they hope that nothing happens until 90 days before lease expiration. And they're going to slide that new lease across the table to the, uh, to the doctor and go, there you go, doc. Here's your, uh, here's your lease for the next five years. Take a look at that. Have your attorney look at it and make sure everything looks good. And, uh, you know, get it back to me as quick as you can because, you know, I want to get that signed because, you know, I've got, I've got lots of interest in this property, doc. So I, I want to make sure that I, I've got a tenant here. These are all very common landlord tactics, and hey, that's, that's their job. I, we, nobody faults them for doing their job well, but that's what we're here to do is to protect our client to make sure that they are well-informed uh, of, of all of their options because that is what gives them the greatest negotiating power. And we're not here to, to tell them to move. By all means, I love helping a client, a doctor, and a landlord. I love helping a doctor and a landlord come to an agreement that is beneficial for my client and, and their practice for the next five, 10, or even 15 years. Long-term leases are, are good things for a doctor, but, um, but I'm, not, I'm not on the landlord's side. So if, if that landlord doesn't want to negotiate well with us, but I've got a couple other landlords who do, then we're going to take them to that landlord. So that, that's, that's the beauty of what we get to do. The timing part is fascinating to learn more about. And then earlier, Jeremy, you spoke about posturing. Um, why do you think it's important to work with a broker? Well, if you don't work with a broker, you're, you're basically going out and you're trying to compete in a market. So the commercial real estate market is, is unlike the residential real estate market. The residential real estate market, basically, you can find out what every house around you has sold for, when it's sold, who it's sold by. All, all of that information is public information. You can, you can find that in the county assessor's office. It, it has to be recorded. Okay, you can go to Zillow. You've got all these, all these places where you can gather information. And you're going to be a pretty well-informed consumer uh, you know, as a buyer or a tenant without the help of a professional. Now, um, if, you're, if you're looking to go buy a house or, or lease something, you're still better off to hire an agent because just like with us, it's the seller or the landlord that pays the commission, and it's already factored into the deal. They know this. They know they're most likely, even if uh, you know, if you're buying a for sale by owner home. I have I have you know bought and sold many homes even before I was a licensed agent, and I knew that if I was doing for sale by owner.com, I'm saving my side of the commission, my three percent. But there's a good chance that there's going to be a real estate broker who's going to bring me a buyer. So therefore, I had that already you know, baked into the price that I was asking. It's just, it's the way you do business. So everybody has that in there. So if you're a buyer or a tenant in, in either side, residential or commercial, it's really smart to, to hire a broker because they're going to either have access to maybe listings that you might not know about. They're going to be able to go out there and search and really spend their time doing, uh, you know, all of the searching, all of the contacting brokers or sellers or landlords, all of these things that take up a lot of your valuable time. And I don't, I don't know about you, but time is my most precious commodity. Uh, and, and for most of my clients who are medical doctors, you know, I may save them 40, 50, you know, and I, even more as far as hundreds of thousands of dollars. I have literally saved clients, you know, upwards of $400,000 on a deal. And they were like, Jeremy, that was great. I mean, I appreciate that. But honestly, the fact that you saved me all of this time was worth more than anything to me. 
And so that, that really hits home with me, uh, where that's one of the main reasons you would want to use a broker. But, um, but then when you look at the commercial real estate market, and which is what I was starting out, the commercial real estate market separate than the residential, not only does it save you time, but you don't have access to all of that information. The, you, the, the um, uh, leases are not something that actually can be published. In fact, in most leases, it says the details of this lease are not to be they, you know, made known publicly outside of between the two parties of this lease, the landlord and the tenant. You're really not even so, you know, most people will go and they'll ask their their neighbor tenant, hey, how much are you paying per month? You know, they just renewed. Hey, what, what did you come to? You know, agreement there. You're really not even supposed to do that in most cases. It, it is, uh, you know, you'd have to check your lease to find out. But that is something that you're not going to find information uh, out on the Internet about the public lease rate. You're going to find the advertised lease rate, which is the asking lease rate. That has nothing to do with the actual effective lease rate as to what was signed, because there's, a, there's about 12 different things that affect a lease rate from the length of term to the amount of concessions that the landlord is giving and the strength of the tenant and the position of the land. I mean, all these different things affect a lease. Um, and so if you're not constantly in the market negotiating leases, so that's how I can, I can actually give a pretty, a good, you know, a, a narrow range of what a market lease rate should be. If you tell me a certain building or a certain area, I'd say, yeah, it should be around this much. You know, this is a range, but I can't tell you exactly still, because I don't know what the terms of that uh, lease are going to come down to, you know, with the, how much concessions we're going to get from the landlord, or if we're not, then we're going to ask for a lot more concessions on the lease rate. So it, there's so much to happen there for a, for a doctor to try to do that. It's it's really like, you know, I, I liken it uh, quite often to a CPA and tax. I'm like, can you do your own taxes? Yeah, of course you can. Anybody can go buy TurboTax. I, I've bought TurboTax before and it still stressed me out. And, you know, and, as it, you know, and, and so for a doctor who, who runs a practice, who you make more money seeing patients than doing anything else in your life. Why would you waste your time at trying to learn the real estate market for the one transaction you may do every five to 10 years? It just doesn't make any sense. And especially when on the buyer or tenant side, a broker doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> you know, now if you're, if you're a professional landlord and you want to do that, well, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, you can try to save your 3%, but I'll tell you this, it, this really goes to show the market of all the professional landlords who are out there. It is next to none that actually list their own properties and deal with that. They all have brokers. They hire brokers. So they're, they're sitting there knowing that they're most likely going to pay 6%, 7%, 8% to this broker for simply answering the phone and, and uh, for a tenant calling. And then that broker doing some legwork and negotiating and getting a, getting a little bit of stuff done, saving them that time. That's how much they know it is worth their time to hire a broker. So for a person who, who doesn't even have to pay for the broker, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth your time. Jeremy, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My, my dad is a physician and a TMA member, and he always says, trust your experts. Um, That's says, right. If you, need, if you have a diabetic wound ulcer, I'm your man. But if you're a plumber, like, I'm going to trust you. So That's use right. the people at your disposal. And, um, so it's very helpful. We have a very DIY world, and, and that's great in some things. Um, I love, I love building. I love constructing and doing things, uh, you know, on my property on the side, but I recently built a house and there is not a chance in the world that I would have been my own general contractor and tried to do that. 
there wasn't a chance in the world before I built a house. And then going through the process now afterwards, if anybody ever comes up to me and says, oh, yeah, I'm going to be my own general contractor, I just look at them and go, so you've got about 400 hours that you're ready to dedicate to this over the next six to nine months? Okay, well, great. Go for it. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Great point. So it's very important to work with a broker. Jeremy, thank you for all of your excellent tips for our listeners. Thanks, Molly. You can find more help on real estate and the TMA Education Center. Remember to like and follow to receive more podcasts from TMA. Until next time, stay well.